The time is approximately 0600 on the morning of January 25th, 1975. The place is RNAS Culdrose, a search and rescue helicopter base near Land's End in the Western United Kingdom. The weather is cause for concern, with 45 knots of wind and increasing every minute. Although the base isn't fully staffed yet in the pre-dawn hours, a distress call from a stricken vessel and reports of people in the water force the helicopter crew to launch into dangerous conditions. This is Legacy. Survival Stories. Legacy. Survival Stories. Good day, everybody. My name is Dan Latramoy, and welcome to Legacy Survival Stories. Today we've got a great episode for you featuring a longtime underwater escape specialist, um, 20 plus years with survival systems training, and before that he was a search and rescue diver with Her Majesty's Royal Navy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Peter Gibbs. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. Very good to have you, sir. So uh, let's quickly go back and say uh, common lineage between you and me at Survival Systems Training in Dartmouth, and you first came over to... Approximately 1992, and I came for a helicopter symposium, and I was still in the Royal Navy then. Okay, so you were still an active member with... Yes, yeah, I was a, a Chief Petty Officer Air Crewman. That would have put you at approximately what age? Well, uh, let me see. I would probably be about 39. 39. Sprightly and young and youthful. Yes, yes. Relatively yes. speaking. Relatively. Okay. And uh, prior to that, so you were, that was when you first came over here, you did a symposium and then you ended up uh, sort of segueing over here and moved over here permanently? Uh, yes, I went, I, at the end of the symposium, after I gave my um, talk on what I was here for, I said in a year's time, I'll be looking for a job. <laughs> and and so the the owner of the company actually contacted my boss and uh, wrote a letter to him and said, did he mean that? And the boss phoned me and I said, yeah, I did mean it. And that's how I came. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, yeah. So what was the symposium? What were you speaking about at the symposium? I was talking about how the Royal Navy's approach or the Navy's approach to helicopter underwater escape training. Okay, so furthering uh, your or initiating really your legacy as uh, what we're calling here an underwater escape specialist which is fair to say i've known you for, yeah 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 uh, well i would be at 13 years i've known you and you were certainly the 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 grandpappy of the underwater yeah, escape yeah. bit so i, I still am <laughs> <laughs> So let's uh, skip ahead then, or I guess in this case, back to the reason you're here today, the story you're here to tell. So if you can please set the tone for us. Where, when, when and where were you? Okay, so I was based at a place called um, RNAS Cold Rose in the UK, which is down in the southwest approaches, or right on the end, very close to Land's End. Okay. Okay, and I'd been a mechanic on a helicopter... When I first joined the Navy. All right, so you joined the Navy as a mechanic? No, I, I joined the Navy as an able seaman. Aha, uh, okay, so you did the dirty work up yeah. front. Okay. So we in, in those days you all joined as able seamen, or you, you just joined, and then you became an able seaman after you did the course, and, and then they would stream you into uh, the direction that they thought that you might be best suited for. And they, for some reason, thought that you would be... You had shown some mechanical well, aptitude? Or? <clears throat> yes, yeah. apparently when I did my test, my mechanical aptitude was above average. And so they actually um, 
said, well, would you like to be a mechanic? Initially, I thought, well, yes, I would. I'd like to be a mechanic anywhere. And um, then this person said, well, we've got four slots for helicopters. And, you know, at the age of sort of 17 and a half, 18, I couldn't even spell the word helicopter, <laughs> okay? But they, they were going to train me as a mechanic. Those and, are those flying whirlybird things, right? Yeah, and, and so I went away and um, learned how to be a mechanic. Okay. And, and while I was that doing that, I used to notice these people get in them and fly around and come back and have a cup of tea and sit around talking. Plus, they paid you a little bit more. Okay. No, nothing too fantastic, you know. And and that's how it all started. I I volunteered for it. I saw an actual, you know, what they call a defence council instruction. They were looking for search and rescue divers. And I thought, well, that sounds like me. And um, even though I, I had been diving, I'd never been a search and rescue one. When you were doing diving prior to this, it would have been, like, just on your own? Uh, no, it would have been... Uh, on the place I was based at, we had a, a, a ship's diving team. Okay. And, and so I'd already learnt to dive, but not to the extent that you would on a search and rescue divers course. And, and again, being young, I, I didn't read all the rules and regulations in the instructions. Well, well who so, does? No, well, <laughs> uh, even now. <laughs> and, and so what happened was um, I, I went away and I did my search and rescue divers course and then when I came back from there, I had to learn how to be a navigator. And I had to learn all about the back of the aircraft and how to navigate. And it was all done on dead reckoning. So when you say dead reckoning, you're talking eyesight, pieces of land? Yeah, and, you know, a sea chart in front of you. And it, it, it's really like seamanship at about 120 miles an hour. Okay. <laughs> and, and a little bit up off the water. Uh, yeah, and further up. <laughs> okay. And, and that's how we learn. You know, and and eventually, when I stepped out of you know being fully qualified, I had all of about thirty-five flying hours. Okay, so I'd been flying for all of thirty-five hours. Okay, so you've been flying. So you, that means you've been airborne in an in an aircraft in a yeah. helicopter. What were they flying at the time? Is it we talking Sea Kings or? Uh, no, in the initial um, training, it was what was known as a Wessex One helicopter which is um, a really old-type helicopter. Gotcha. All right, so you got 35 hours in now, and then you become a search-and-rescue diver. Now you are a search-and-rescue diver? Yes, yeah, I'm fully, fully qualified. And what they do then is um, they send you to a search-and-rescue unit somewhere. Okay, and in those days, there are a lot more. Um, but I was lucky enough to be sent to a search-and-rescue unit on the base where I lived. Oh, well, that's happy uh, coincidence yeah. for you. And that's amazing for the military to get me back to the place that I came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now we've set the tone that uh, Peter Gibbs has now become a search and rescue diver with Her Majesty's Royal Navy. And you are based at, uh, let me see if I have this right, yeah. RNAS Cold Rose? Yes, yeah. All right, so we've got the background now. So please tell us about this uh, interesting event you've got. So I joined the, the outfit, if you want to call it that. And um, what, what happens is it's like any new boy. There's all the old guys there, okay? And as soon as the new boy steps in the door, oh, do this, do that. And within about four days of me being there, I'm on watch at the weekend. 
Is this uh, like sort of standard for the unit that's standard FNG guy? Yeah, you know, the new guy, you're going to do this. And of course, all the old guys want to go on weekend and stuff like that. So I go, I say, I can't say no. And so there I am. I'm fully qualified. And, you know, they give you a check flight and every, well, more than one, you know, throughout the four days. And the chief says, you're okay, you're good to go. And there I am. So the guy who wants Saturday night off says that, yeah, you're good for Saturday night. I'm taking off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're good. You'll be all right. <laughs> You'll be good enough. Yeah. And, and so that's how it happened. And so Friday night I go home and the wind is getting up and it's... Um, Let me, sorry, just break in. At the time, were you like, so if you're on search and rescue standby? Yeah, yeah. But you're able to go home? Yeah, because uh, the unit that I'm operating on is daylight hours only. Okay, all right. So if there's an after-hours call, they're just yeah. going to have to wait till people trickle in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and but people don't trickle in. It's already organized, you know, so it would only be about an hour. Okay. And, and then they'd be off and gone. And the people that would get that crew. call, they know that they're the ones on the yeah. for that call. Yeah. Okay, and that's yeah. you. All right. Yeah. So anyway, um, I go home, and uh, again, I, I'm sitting at home, and it, it, the wind's getting up and everything, and... I already know what wind's like, you know, we've been, I've been out and about and I've been in the Navy long enough to know that wind is wind, you know. And so I get up in the morning, I think, well, it's my first time ever on watch. I better go early, all right? So as I'm driving to work in my Volkswagen Beetle, all right, as I'm driving down past the sea, all right, and there's no protection from the wind and the sea, I'm doing like 65 mile an hour and the old beetle gets airborne, you know, with the big air scoops on the front. That, and so I realise that it's really windy. I can't see anything and it's pouring with rain and spray. And then when I get to work, um, I get there and it's pitch black. So I should ask this, uh, this base, RNAS Cold Rose, whereabouts is it? It's on the western end of the UK. It's about 14 miles away from Land's End. Okay. Okay. All right. Western UK, 14 miles from Land's End. Okay, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Just, I'm just trying to put this in my mind here, and I like yeah. to keep my little map in front of me so I get a sense of it. So I, I get to work, and the first thing I realize is, you know, it is really windy, and it's, you know, I've never seen it like this. And so anyway, I walk in, you know, and I'm walking down the corridor towards the crew room, and... Paul, who's, who's the navigator, all right, or the hoist operator, he comes out and he, he looks at me and he said, just get your stuff ready because we're going to go as soon as we can. We're going to go and do a search for a, a ship that we believe is in difficulty somewhere southwest of us. And, okay, fine. So I put all my gear in the aircraft and everything like that, which we used to do. We'd carry our gear with us. And the aircraft's all there. And uh, the pot, just, just, for, yeah. just for curiosity, when you say pack all your gear into the aircraft, for you as the rescue diver, what does that gear look like? Well, really, what it means is that I check out all the. There's two diving sets in there. There's a set of fins and a mask and etc. and a, a life jacket and stuff like that. Okay, so we're talking uh, general rescue swim type yeah stuff. type okay. stuff. Yeah. Okay, and Paul. You know, the, the crewman, he has his own stuff to look after. And then obviously we only have one pilot because we fly a single pilot. And and this is in a whirlwind helicopter, all right? And it's a really old helicopter. 
Okay. So you're feeling good. Yes, I'm, feeling... I'm, I'm excited because <laughs> I've never searched for anything, all right? And, uh, and again, my pilot, all right, who his nickname is Swampy, Swampy. Yeah, because his last name is Marsh. Okay, so okay, all right. that's why we. So it's got it. nothing to do with his ability to fly. No, no. Okay, all right. Good. Actually, a very you know experienced and a good pilot. Thank heavens. All right. So he comes past, and you know he's a a, a lieutenant in the navy, and I say good morning. So he goes, good morning, Gibbs. You know, just get your gear ready. I'm going to start the aircraft up just outside the hangar in the lee of the wind. All right, so I, I understand that. And he said, I just need you to help push it out. All right, now the reason he's pushing it on the lee side of the hangar, or we're going that way, is because you can't start them up in the wind when it's over 45 knots. So the wind is high enough that oh, yeah. you can't even start, that you're not... You're not supposed to engage the rotors, all right? So Lieutenant Marsh, all right, Swampy, all right, Probably shouldn't use his name, but okay. <laughs> anyway, so what what he does is he, he gets in it and we push it out along with the ground crew. And as soon as we're out and he sees a break in the in the speed of the wind, of course he's got an airspeed indicator. And as soon as he sees that, he starts it or he engages it, gets it all going, and then we can climb in. All right, because that's the dangerous part when it starts. If it's really windy and it's gusty, it can damage the aircraft and we we all get in this and then we taxi out onto a, a perimeter track and now we realize we're not supposed to take off in the dark all right but we've already had a message from the duty officer to say that this ship has sunk and there are people in the water so sorry you said it's dark what, what time of day are we talking about here well we would normally get to work about an hour early from daylight all right, so it's in January, so, you know, we're there at sort of 6, 5.30. Okay, so we're not talking ridiculous 2 o'clock no, in no, the morning. No, okay. no, 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 we, no. We get there normally an hour before sunrise. So then what, what happens is, uh, you know, the pilot's talking about, you know, we can't, we're not supposed to take off in darkness. The tower should be open at least, but it's not. Okay, so he says, I don't, I know what I'll do. I'll talk to the crash truck. The crash truck is the the fire engine, okay, and that's always there when you start up and go, okay. So he talks to the fire engine, and and the guy in the fire engine says, "Well, you're not supposed to take off in the dark unless the tower's open." And the pilot says, "Well, we're going anyway, all right, because it's a matter of life and death." At this at this point, are you like are you as the diver in the in the back end of the helicopter? Are you feeling that like uh, there's somebody might be out there actually? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, and and of course now it's dawned on us. You, you know the aircraft is it, it. We lift off and and go. And what we do is we fly towards the Lizard Lighthouse because that's a big flashing light and you can see it. All right. So we're going to depart from there and we know the rough position and we're going to depart and fly towards it. Okay, now the rough position is about thirty miles southwest of where we are. Okay, uh, thirty, and and that's yeah. we're talking thirty miles offshore. Like yeah, away. yeah, okay. yeah. And and so anyway, what we do is um, off we go, and you know we're flying um, at about I, I would say a thousand feet on the way out, and then what happens is 
Paul, who's doing the navigation, he actually comes up and he says, Gibbo, that's my nickname, can you check my nav? Because I'm a qualified navigator as well. He said, we're only doing about 30 knots ground speed, which means the wind is pushing us at about 60 knots. So we're flying into wind. So your helicopter is supposed to fly at, say, 90-ish knots? Yes, yeah. But you're only making 30, 30 because knots there's so much wind. Over the ground, yeah. Wow. So then the pilot, he says, well, probably if we go lower, the wind will, you know, be nicer to us. Well, we went lower, and it was so windy, all right, there was turbulence coming off the waves, and now, as a diver, I can look, get a really good look at the waves, and I'm thinking, oh, it's pretty rough. It's like mega rough, all right? You, you, now you're looking back at that mechanic job, and yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah, so yeah, bad. Yeah. And, and so anyway, I'm all prepared for it, and, and then we fly out towards where we're going to go. We get an updated position, so we have to crosswind a little bit, but nothing that would stop us. And we eventually, um, we find a lifeboat upside down. Now, as a search and rescue diver, my job it would be to jump in, get underneath it, and see if there's anybody underneath the lifeboat. So when you're uh, talking lifeboat, you're talking about a like big, you know, uh, a ship has launched its lifeboat and yeah. it's upside down in the water now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so, and, um, and, and again, you, you yourself would know how big these lifeboats are. They're big, all right, and it was upside down. We're just about to dispatch me into the water to go and have a look. And they receive another, there's a life raft with people in it about two or three miles away. From so uh, you found a lifeboat yeah. that is upside down yeah. and nobody visible, but there no. might be somebody inside. And now you've got word that there's a life raft. raft with people in it alive. Wow. So now... Who, who, who's, who's feeding you the information? Okay, so the information is coming from the Coast Guard. All right, but also involved in this is um, the actual, there are two ships on scene. One is a, a passenger vessel, and, and the other, I believe, was a cargo vessel. Okay, so uh, commercial, merchant marine type. Yeah, yeah. And, and what they've done is they've, they've closed in on, on the position, okay, and one of them spotted it and gave an update, and that's what we received. So we flew over there, all right? Okay. And, and, of course, now I, I know I don't need my diving gear on, so I drop my breathing apparatus and everything. And, and now it'll be straightforward hoisting them out of a life raft and, you know, going from there. So, so your job in this circumstance, so with the lifeboat, they would have, would they have actually expected you to wear your, your dive equipment, put on your, your breathing apparatus yeah. and all the rest of yeah. it, and actually swim underwater and go yeah. in the damn thing? And, and well, it, it's an open lifeboat in those, uh, in those, this one was an open lifeboat. Oh, okay. So at least, okay. at least looking inside would have been easy. It, it would have been easier than going actually into a lifeboat. Yeah. Right? Like a modern uh, yeah, enclosed a modern, one. enclosed one. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going to be lowered down and we're going to pick them up individually. And either bring them back to the helicopter, or we discussed that what we do is we could put them on the ship, and and the passenger ship was um, a ferry, and it was called the SS St Patrick, and it was running from Cherbourg to Ireland somewhere. Okay. And they had on the front of their, or you know, back from the bows, they had a huge, great big awning, and so I. You know, like a, a, a big, a big open area yeah, you, yeah. that you could use for the helicopter, yeah. kind of. Yeah. 
Well, you, you wouldn't be able to land it on there, but you could use it, and the idea would have been just to lower me down onto the deck anywhere, and we'll go from there, because we realised how rough it was now, and we're running in to do this. And so we've discussed it quickly, and this is what we're going to do. Okay, so as we come over the, the top of the life raft, there's a guy there like this, you know, with his arms up. And so I'm lowered straight down, and then as I get to him like this, what does he do is as I'm about to put the the, the strop okay. uh, over him, which is the which goes under your arms so you can lift them out of the water. So for the for the lay people out there, that's basically a big thick strap that goes up sort of up under your arms and and, uh, and then attaches to the bottom of the, the cable that comes down from yeah. the from the helicopter. And and I, I wear a, a system, it's called a double lift, which attaches me to it as well. Okay, so I'm just about to do that, and then all of a sudden, this guy just jumps on me, all right, and he starts wrestling with me and everything like that, and and so Paul, he he knows what he's going to do. He raises me clear of him, all right. So and this fell in the raft. As soon as you got close enough, he basically he jumped on me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. And 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 of course now, uh, I understand why he did it because he was thought he was going to die and so he grabbed hold of me and we have a little wrestle and I, he's holding my helmet here and and so I push him off and he falls back in the life raft and then Paul brings me up and says are you okay I said yeah let you know let's go for somebody else and and so like <laughs> that guy got quickly bumped to the back of the line yeah yeah well it, it was just a matter of you know whoever's there ready how, how, how big was the raft Okay, so the, this this is um, um, a little bit of a... It, this came up in the inquiry, all right, because the raft, they say it was a 10-person life raft, and I believe it was a five-person. Oh, right? Pretty small then. Yeah, and also it, it, it had suffered a lot of damage. Okay, now I'll explain that as we go. Okay, all so, right. So because they didn't have a lifeboat, they'd all try to get in the life raft, okay, and there were 12 people tried to get in the life raft okay and they realized once they were all in it that they would have to get out some of them would have to get out and stay out on the outside and they took it in turns so for again for the for the for the folks at home uh when you consider a life raft if you take say for example let's say a 10 person life raft those are designed so that when 10 people are in it those 10 people are essentially shoulder to shoulder with virtually no extra space at all. Yeah, yeah. So when you start talking about the possibility of there being maybe 12 people in something yeah, yeah. closer to a, a five-person life raft, you're talking about a, a sardine can. Well, yeah. Okay. And, and, and the, the one of the reasons that life was really uncomfortable for them in the life raft is the lower chamber had perished. Okay. Okay. So, so, all right. So the uh, normal life raft has got a, a a lower tube and an upper tube, and the lower one has has, has got busted, popped. Something. Uh, yeah, it got um, raft rot. Okay. Oh. And and oh, you understand what that means? The the plot thickens. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, please continue. <laughs> raft rot is caused by not servicing the life rafts properly. Okay. And it, it's caused by leaving it in. If they, you want to call it inclement weather, it gets wet and then it stays there for the prolonged maintenance period, it, which in those days was probably five years before it got serviced. 
So it'd be once every five years. And what happens is it rots and then you inflate it and one chamber will either go bang and it will go down or it won't inflate or something like that. Something bad will yeah. happen. Okay, so, and I had no clue any of this had been going on because I'm more concerned about trying to rescue the guys. So, I, as we're running in the, for the second time, all right, there's a guy, another guy. Okay, and he's ready. I can see this guy. He knows what to do. He's got his hands up in the air. And I come along and I just put the strop over him like that, pull the becket, make it tight on him like that. I'm, I give, I'm about to give the thumbs up that I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden, I'm pulled out of the raft with him. And I have no idea what's going on. I'm underwater and I think, holy crap maybe the helicopter's ditch. I had, I had time to think that, and I can see this guy in front of me. He's with me. So he's 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 in the strop, and he's basically attached to you. Yeah, yeah, he is. And you're going underwater. And I'm underwater. Good heavens. And, and so I look like this, and I, I can see him. You know, I've got my eyes open, and I can see him, and I think I better let him go. All right, so I disconnect him quickly. And when I disconnect, I realize that I've got all the hoist cable with me. And so what's happened is... The helicopter nav has been hoisting me, and he saw the, the hoist cable. He thought it was wrapped round me, and he knew if the tension came on, it would cut through you or it'd cut my arm off. And what he did was he jettisoned the hoist cable. But because we were moving sideways, all right, that's how it dragged us underwater. And all I did was I just released it underwater, threw it away, and I surfaced. I couldn't see the helicopter. I, I looked all around and I thought, oh my God, it's ditched. And and so I thought, well, what do I do? And then... You start thinking about one more person in that yeah. little tiny raft. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But uh, I'll, as, as I went up on a wave, I saw the guy that was with me in, in the trough of the wave. And I've got my fins on and everything. So I swim down to him like that, grab him and say, look, it's going to be all right. I'll get you back to the life raft. Okay, so now I spend a, a few minutes swimming with him. And, and what, what was the state of this guy? Was he Yeah, he, he, was, okay. Conscious. he was okay. okay. He, you know. um, but one of the things that, uh, you know, the lucky, if I can call it luck, is the raft itself hadn't got a sea anchor deployed or anything like that, so it wasn't being held anywhere. And so it would spin on the waves and it would spin towards the bottom of the troughs. So as, a, as I'm pulling him down the side of the wave, or I swim in for the life raft because I can see it now, it would disappear, then it would come back and I would see it was going to be in the next trough. I managed to get him back to the raft and get him in there. And I got him in and, and then what happens is, of course, now I can hear a helicopter and I can feel it hovering above me. And... Uh, the crew in the helicopter, Paul, the navigator, is he, he, he's like... G giving you the... Yeah, are you okay? Okay, and all right. You, you know, have you got everything with you? Or is there any bits missing? <laughs> that sort of thing. <laughs> and I'm looking at him, and I know we've got a life raft in the actual helicopter. And uh, I'm trying to indicate to him that, you know, pass me the life raft. 
an MS-5 and I'm going like this. And he looks at me and he goes like that. And I know. So sorry for uh, for those that can't see. He uh, asked if they made like a drinking motion. Yeah. And I know that that's an indicator that they're low on fuel. Okay. All right. Okay. Wow. And so now, because you're not having a bad enough day. No. And uh, you know, so what what happens next is he indicates, and and he says we're going to go, and and I I give the thumbs up. Yeah. I've got nothing else to you know. I can't say no. Don't go. <laughs> <laughs> and and off your, it goes. Your 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 bargaining power is very yeah. low at that point. And the, I already know that they'd be short on fuel. All right. And again, off they go. And of course, they're downwind, so they can go really fast. And and what you try and do if you're really short and you think you might have to, you'll try for the nearest point of land, which is what they would do. And um, so off they go. And so I think, well, what do I do now? I tie myself to the life raft, and I, I think... So know, tying to back to the original piece of junk life yeah, yeah, raft? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know it's a piece of junk, because I haven't got in it yet. Okay. <laughs> so I'm tied to the outside, and I can see the people inside, the ones that are alive, are having real problems, you know, staying in there. So I want to focus on the ominous tone of that sentence. Yeah, yeah. You get in that raft, yeah. and the ones that yeah. are alive, you can see. So by saying that, you're indicating that not everyone is alive. Not everyone is alive. Oh, no. dear. So um, four, four alive and two floating around in the bottom, right? And and in the ensuing wait to be rescued, okay, at the end of the day, there's only me and two guys alive, all right? So there were already some had perished, the guys that had been on the outside of the raft, I, I know now what happened is they got cold, they let go, which is... And know, then floated off to... Floated off, wherever. Okay. Um, so I decide that it'd be better for me to get in the life raft. And so I climb in the life raft, and uh, and again, the the ships that are close are, are really trying to protect us, take it in turns... So they're, right. when you say protect you, you mean like try and sort of get upwind and give you a little bit of shelter kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so the, the one that could manoeuvre the, the easiest, or I think, I'm not a ship's captain, but the, the ferry with the passenger ferry, um, that one came in really close to us and it would pass us. And one of the survivors said to me, you know, we got a line from that ferry, but we couldn't hold on to it because it we were too cold. And uh, and so I'd already thought to myself, well, I know what I'm going to do at the end of the day. If that ferry comes close to us, I could swim and climb up the scramble net on the side. All right. So I wasn't too put out. I did think to myself, and it's amazing what you do think. I, I thought like this, I'm going to be late home for dinner. <laughs> when I was sat in it. And that, that was one of the things. I'm going to be late home for dinner. <laughs> Could somebody please yeah. send a text or a telegraph to yeah, uh, yeah. to Homestead and let them know I'm going to be a few minutes late? I'm now concentrating on trying to keep them alive. And literally what's happening, the raft is spinning halfway up the, the, the waves. And then, you know, in a really rough sea, the top parts of the waves break off and roll down. That's coming through the raft and it's trying to wash everybody out. And so I'm just in the middle. I'm grabbing hold of everybody, right? So you're in there, and you've got how many live souls now? I think there's uh, four alive and two dead. 
I don't have time to um, check for pulses and things like that. No, probably uh, all your <laughs> hands full with the four life yeah, souls that are barely to, hanging on. Yeah, the the two guys that survived, they had lots of clothing on, but the rest of them were, you know, in their PJs. All right. Um, when you say lots of clothing, we're talking normal-ish clothing, like no, winter jackets, it, that kind okay, of stuff? Okay, so when, when the ship um, started to capsize because the cargo moved, all right, the captain said, look, lads, we're going to have to abandon. And so two of them thought, well, that'll be cold, that water. It's middle of January. And um, what happened is they went down their cabins, they put on all their warm clothing, and they put their oil skins over the top, and, and then they put the life jackets on. The thing that was really good about, or, you know, and I, I mean, I didn't really understand this, the, the experts said that because they put their oil skins on, when the wind and the waves were coming through, it, it wasn't penetrating their clothing, all right, like it was the guys that were in their PJs in their with a life jacket on. Everything's penetrating, you know, the, the wind and the waves and, you know. Just sucking the energy right out of them. Yeah, and that's what it does. Well, you know it does. Yeah. And, and that eventually, there are, the, the, there, like I said, there were four alive in there, okay, and the two that died um, were really because they were freezing cold. They, they weren't dressed properly. properly. And, and, you know, I'm trying to hold them in all the time. And, you know, I'm grasping them. And then one of them actually died in my arms. And I have to ask the other guys, do you mind if I put him down? And, and they said, well, why do you want to put him down? I said, well, he's not with us anymore. I don't want to tell him that he's dead. You don't want to but, say those words. You know, but... but unfortunately, that's what, what happened. And so, so this guy, you, you, you're wrestling basically with people. You latched onto them, trying to keep trying them, to keep them head out of the water, face yeah, out of the water yeah. in a raft. Yeah. And uh, like this guy expires right in your arms. And, and okay. so, um, you know, I, I asked the guys and they said, well, yeah, you know. And, and so I tie him on and put him down. And then I concentrate on the two that are actually conscious and uh, still talking you know which are the two that yeah. have yeah. the the layers of clothing yeah. and the oil yeah. skins and yeah and and so i i stay like that and um you know like i've been saying the ships were passing us really close to protect us from the wind by the way i want to go if if you don't mind i want to go back a second what are you wearing when you say you get like you get your gear on are you in a, like a thick yeah. wetsuit or yeah i'm in a, a thick wetsuit i've got um like a seven mil or something? Um, a seven mil with a, a you know, um, not a farmer John, but um, you know, a jacket and everything. Ah, okay, all right. And like one of those ones so, that's like a like a, a an under layer that's yeah. sort of legs and body, and yeah. then an over layer that's body I, and arms. I have the legs, and I've got long johns on. Okay, and I have a um, a neoprene vest, and then I've got a big thick life jacket, uh, not life jacket, but a, a big thick neoprene jacket that goes over me. So how are you faring in the cold at this point? I, I feel no pain, all right? I'm busy. <laughs> so I'm, I'm working hard, all right? And, and I, I didn't feel cold once. Really? Yeah, I did. And, and what I'm, kind of water temperature were you? So January um, in that part of the world, it, probably two degrees? Plus eight, I think, maybe seven. And, and for anybody who doesn't think that's cold... 
just go ahead and uh, pour tap water from your from your from your tap. Put it in the fridge for four hours, and then uh, take it out and uh, stick your hand in that. Leave it there for a minute or two, and that'll give you a sense of just how cold that is. So uh, you know, I didn't feel the cold, and and of course I'm you know relatively used to it. So that that um, you know was the state of things in the life raft and so I thought well if the ship comes close enough to me that if they throw a line to me I'll be able to tie on and then tie on like to the life raft yeah to the life raft and then they'd probably be able to um pull the life raft towards where you, you know it would go to the side of the ship all right but they're getting closer and closer and they're um the crew are dropping it, it looked like, um, in fact, it probably cooking oil, all right? Because what they're trying to do is, years ago they said if you could tip oil, you know, some form of oil on the tops of the sea, it will, it will calm it or make it calmer. And, and they were doing all this, and, and that didn't work at all. I was going to say, I was just yeah. going to ask, because for a little bit of marine lore for everybody back home, yeah. old school lifeboats actually had an oil spigot yeah, yeah. Uh, up forward so that as you're bashing through the waves, you could, you could squirt this oil out on the water in front of you, the theory being that it would yeah. somehow make yeah. the waves not so bad. I, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a plot with holes. I have a hard time imagining how yeah, it would yeah. work. But, but I can tell you Mother Nature doesn't do that. <laughs> Okay, so we're in the life raft, and I know that there'll be helicopters coming to pick us up, and and so what happens is the the ship, the SS St. Patrick, is getting closer and closer, and so is, is she like making sort of circles around you and trying to yeah, make a pass the, close by? Yeah, and and I know that they're probably thinking about coming really close to us, and and so I'm not too concerned. All right, but. As one of these particular times, they come really close. They're like probably less than 10 metres away from us, all right? Which probably uh, looked awfully big outside the hatch of that life yeah, raft. But the, the, the most scary thing for me and was the guys in the life raft are not thinking about anything like this, but as they come really close to us, they hit a huge wave and the bow goes under the waves like that. And what pops out of the back as we're disappearing down the side of the ship. The propellers. The propellers. And now I can see this big bronze thing churning. Shiny and polished. Yeah, and, and I'm uh, thinking, if we go in there, it's game over, right? Um, I, I'd be jumping out, but um, that was the most frightening thing. It, you know, that was a, an oh-my-God moment. I bet it was. Yeah. You're not supposed to see and, props for ships that size out of no. the water. And, and the... The captain of that ship in, in the inquiry said, you know, he said I was getting closer and closer. And he said, and then I realised, you know, on one of the passes that when the bows went down, the props came out. And he said, so I, I he, you know, heaved to and went, kept away from it. You know, all they did then was just keep us in the, um, you know, uh, protected from the wind as much as they could. You so know? let's... Uh sort of timeline this now so you took off at first thing in the morning so yeah, yeah. Ju just just daylight basically well no, it's it, still dark when it you was took still off? dark when we took off okay. okay so and then you take off you arrive what's your flight time to get there um it it, it would be 
almost like 45, 50 minutes. Okay. So, least. and then there's a little bit of flying <clears throat> around, and yeah, then yeah. there's a little bit of raising, lowering, and then yeah. the next thing you know, you're disconnected, you're in yeah. the water with them. Yeah. And what kind of timeline do you think you're at here yeah. now with, uh, by the time those, those, so, those, those poor souls inside, uh, when they, when they left? Um, I, I don't really know, but the, I would say that we were probably in the, you know, the rescue mode for at least two hours after the event, you know. They, the, the helicopter I was in disappeared. I knew that there would be other helicopters coming to, you know, pick us up and things like that. Um, and, and again, it would just be that they have to muster the crews and get the aircraft ready. And probably I think it was in two hours, something like that, two and a bit. I could see in the horizon two little black dots and I knew what they were because the weather was starting to uh, abate, if you want to call it that, and and these things were skimming across the tops. But the even they said when they got there they didn't appreciate the size of the waves and the captain of the Canadian ship that was involved and in the inquiry he said, you know, and he said there were... 90 knot gusts going across my deck and he said I'd say the wave height was between 45 to 60 feet so big waves and, and I, you know I, I didn't feel particularly afraid of the waves because I'm just going up and down on the waves yeah it's, it's just going riding up and down a hill for you yeah, yeah. but it, it for the guys in the life raft it was a, an absolute nightmare because it, the life raft wasn't doing what it was supposed to do you know God, and so then, so yeah. how did how did they did the helicopters come rescue or did they yeah, launch yeah. something from the ferry? Or? No, no, um, I don't think you could have launched anything from you know anything. Except, it was that rough, except maybe a bit of oil, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the the interesting thing was though that the helicopters that came were seeking helicopters, and and of course they have a a better system. So at that point, would they have been the like the newer generation compared to the one uh, you had flown out in? No. The, the, oh, yeah, far, far, far newer. Um, and as much as uh, people around, especially Canada, make fun of Sea Kings, let's call a spade a spade. Those things were inactive. Those things yeah, were active yeah. for 50 years, 55 yeah, yeah, years. Yeah, which, yeah. I mean, who's got a car that lasts that long? Nobody. Yeah, well, exactly. All right. And uh, again, um, you know, on the Canadian side of things, Yes, the, the the guys that look after them or used to look after them, they're looked after, right? They, you know, I'd fly in one of them any day, you know. And the ones that picked us up were anti-submarine helicopters. So they have a lot of equipment inside, but they're still capable of coming into the hover and picking us up, and that's what they did. So they, uh, another, uh, somebody like you, um, uh, a search and rescue diver, uh, yeah. lowers down, uh, did they take you first or did they take no, you last? No, the, you know, the helicopter came into the hover over the top of us and I have the guys that are alive and I, they're, they're up first, okay, and they do it from the life raft, okay, so the... So straight out of the raft? Straight out of the raft, all right, then the, the ones in there that were dead... They were lifted up, and then at the end of the day, it's me, all right? And then I went. Did you all go in one helicopter? Uh, yes, yeah, we did, yeah. And um, the interesting thing, though, during the uh, the rescue phase there, the ho hoisting phase, the the lifeboat that was 
on its way from Penzance, which would be like 30 miles away. So when you say lifeboat uh, now, now you're talking uh, like a landborne rescue yeah, small yeah. ship type of thing, you know, like the, a Coast Guard cutter type yeah. small, okay. Yeah, you know, in the UK we have the... the Royal National Lifeboat. Yeah, and you guys, you guys yeah. are funny over there. You call your, yeah. your lifeboats that launch from ships to save your lifeboats, yeah, and yeah, your yeah. and your ships yeah. that launch from the to yeah. come rescue you are lifeboats too. Too, yeah. <laughs> and 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 again, they arrived on the scene, and and so they, that's always good to see them because those, the majority of the guys, they're all volunteers, but they're normally, you know, fishermen, old old guys that have been fishing for years. They know the sea. And one of those to pitch up is great news for anybody who's in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 so that they they were just getting on scene, all right by the time. But we'd already, um, you know, picked up most of the people, and and off we go, you know. So they uh, you get on the helicopter, they fly you back to your base and put you in the hospitals and. No no no, not nothing as fancy as that. They flew us to uh, a hospital. Okay, and then the two live ones out, and the dead. Okay, um, they they get, you know, put out as well. And then what we did is we turned around and went straight back out there, and and then. Because you hadn't had a long enough day yet. No, no, they're getting the most for their money, you know. <laughs> You're on salary, son. Get back out uh, yeah. there. <laughs> and and so then, um, what what happened is they, uh, basically, what we did is we. We, we identified and marked where everybody was because when we went back onto the search pattern all right where the life raft was all right the the people had literally you could fly along the downwind side and and they were spaced at intervals and unfortunately none of those survived all right so what was the ship where did all these I'll, I'll say poor people. Like, I mean, you got a bunch of sailors that end up in the water. What was the ship? You said something about a cargo vessel that capsized? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, the name of the vessel is H. Um, sorry, not HMS, um, MV Lovett. Okay? And the it, it is coming out of Cardiff, and it was carrying coal dust. And, and it was, um, you know, a 1,200-ton cargo vessel. And, you know, off they go, and... Uh, and I'm only telling you from the court of inquiry, the coal dust, they believe, was loaded incorrectly, all right, and it had too much moisture in it. And so when they, they, were, they were trying to make the tide, you know, so what they do is they, they're loading it quickly, and what they've done is they've made it in a pyramid. Uh, rather than... Okay, uh, rather yeah. than flatten it all out. Yeah. And, and it's got too much moisture in it, and then as it goes down from Wales and it has to turn left into the English Channel, all right, and it was going across sea, the cargo moved, shifted to the port side, I think it was, yeah. And um, then what happened is they couldn't write it, they couldn't get it, fix it, and then eventually I believe the engine intakes sucked in water, so that shuts the engines down. So and you, now you're just drifting. So you know what's going to happen, it's going to drift it. You know, beam onto the wind and the sea every time. Um, yeah. The the captain, you know, he did the right thing. He got them all on, ready to go, but they couldn't launch the lifeboat because it was on the low it, side. It was on the low side, okay, and then it got washed off. And in those days, yeah. only the one lifeboat required. 
Yep. Oh, wow. And you just had to have a backup life raft, which has which, to... Which they used, Yeah. Uh, but apparently, yeah. possibly, allegedly, maybe had not maintained according to the way it should well, be. Well, uh, one of the good things came out of it, though, is that on the big court of inquiry, it, it involved the, um, you know, the British government. And, and it was, you know, said that that's, you know, we need to have all our sailors trained properly. And, and what it did was it increased the, um, the training and it improved the maintenance of all the equipment. And, and so out of that incident, you know, a lot of good came. They changed the rules and regulations. The government changed it. This was, you know, you can read all the documents in, you know, for the Houses of Parliament and things like that. It's all in there. Yeah. No, yeah. well, that's that's fantastic. And it is, yeah. well, the, the incident isn't fantastic, but uh, as a species, as a civilization, to move onward and forward, we have to try and not repeat the mistakes we've made before. So it's, it's, it is satisfactory, I suppose, is the best <laughs> word, that although people had to die, at least the yeah. regulations were changed so that those particular set of circumstances shouldn't happen again. Because, I mean... I mean, we can look right now, and the way lifeboats and arrangements are right now yeah. uh, exceed that. They're better yeah, than they were yeah. back then. And the standards for life rafts, I mean, off the top of my head, I know that here in Canada, the life rafts have to be replaced entirely every three years. Yes, and they have yeah. to be inspected yeah. every year by yeah. a third party. So you have to bring in, you know, your yeah. your experts from wherever to, to look at the rafts and hopefully not end up with a with a, with a a dud raft. Wow, that's amazing. You, you know yourself, you know, having attended the inquest, all right, all the evidence is there. So the life raft was there and everything. And the, um, say the judge, all right, I don't think he's called a judge, <laughs> but um, he's there. The person he look, at the front of the room yeah, anyway. He, he looks at everything as well. And, and there was a container, and he actually said, what is this container? And it's a, a round cylindrical tube, all right. And he said, well, what are all these saw cuts on it? And, and it's me, while I'm in the life raft, I'm trying to hold on to the people. I've got my diving knife out and I'm trying to saw the end off because you can't undo it. It, it was covered oh, in... Oh, are you talking the, like the, the... The survival aids. Like where the, with the equipment that comes in a life raft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't get it into it. So they, they, they couldn't get it open, all right? And I saw it in the bottom of the raft and I thought, I'll, I'll open that, I'll get the flares out and stuff like that. When I try... It, it's got um, like a wax coating all over it, okay, and the ends were, you know, what... Um, so is, what, it, is it supposed to sort of screw off at one end? Well, yeah, but you, you couldn't. It was thorough, it was wax, and, and also what they'd done at the end that you could open, all right, you, you guys call it duct tape, I call it masking tape, <laughs> all right? There's like, <laughs> there's like four, four rolls of that around it, so it's really tightly packed yeah, so everything in there is is completely watertight which is wonderful except yeah. that you can't get at the but, damn thing and, and and you know that uh, two minutes of you being in cold water you can't use your fingers properly all right and they they said what what are all these saw marks and it's me with my diving knife trying to saw the end off trying to get at it <laughs> but i i i had to stop doing it because the there were danger of me stabbing somebody and so i thought well i'll just hold on to him and look after him you know yeah, and that, and that's how it all transpired. Wow. 
So for, for the folks at home, uh, the way life raft equipment is typically packed now, it's not in uh, plastic hard shells. And what the life rafts are, they're in fiberglass shells usually, uh, but uh, the life raft kits that are inside, which would include your food, your food supplies, water supplies, flares, uh, signaling devices, that sort of thing, they're usually in a sort of a dry bag type arrangement, uh, which if you needed to, I suppose you could get open with a knife, uh, yeah, but yeah, hopefully you yeah. could just, you know, rip open one end and away yeah. you go. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and uh, and and so that that changed the, the Department of Transport's approach to search and rescue, um, and you know the the British government said it, it's an absolute tragedy to lose that amount of people at sea, and with, especially with, with other vessels there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like in what in what at least in concept should have been a survivable event. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But, but, but again, I you know. The, the waves that size, it, you're, you're at the mercy of Mother Nature now. If you could yeah. do it all again, what would you do differently on that day? Um, I might have had a little bit bigger breakfast, <laughs> 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 to be honest. Because normally... You're getting a bit peckish by the end of all that, were you? <laughs> you go to work and, and you know, you have some form of food... All right, but I'd had a, um, I think, I don't even know what type of cereal at home, you know. Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, when you, I, I had a 14-mile drive, so I'd take, you know, maybe a marmalade sandwich or something like that with me and eat that on the way. You're a and heathen. I, You're a yeah. heathen, Gibbo. Who eats and, marmalade sandwiches? Well, the Brits do. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so that, that was the... Um, you know that's what I had, but uh, you, you know the I, I often you know I talk to my wife now and I laugh about this. When we arrived back at the the station, the airbase, all right, the seeking helicopters were about parked normally about a mile a good mile away from where my search and rescue um, squadron was. Okay, so the the interesting thing there was they they landed and they taxied to where they are going to shut down, and I said, "Well, can you drop me off?" And and they said, "No, we got to go in here." And so I get out and I've just been through all this and I've got my fins and my diving gear. And now you got to go for and, a. And now I start walking across a you know an airfield that's closed, all right, and I'm walking along. I've no clue. You know, I'm just going to go back to work because I'm programmed like that, go back to work, all right? And I'm walking along and I'm thinking, I'll get back and I'll have a cup of tea and, you know. And then I see a, um, you know, a little Royal Navy Mini and I'd never seen one of these before and it's driving towards me and I'm w walking directly across the main runway and it screams up to me and, and this voice goes, are you the diver that just got out of that, you know, search and rescue? Yeah, yes, 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 sir, I am, all right? Of course, it's a sir, okay? And it's a lieutenant commander, and he's the public relations officer. Oh. All right? So I, I said, can you, are you going back to the search and rescue outfit, and can you drop me off, sir? <laughs> he goes, no, you're coming with me. And and so I then go You're to, still Are you still in your, your yeah, wetsuit? Yeah, I'm just, you know, I, and then... There's all these, you know, photographers and, you know, what's going on and all this, you know. And, and I'm saying, well, look, I can't really 
stop and talk, I've got to go back. I'm the, I'm the duty diver. And, and the lieutenant commander, don't worry about that, Gibbs, I've got that all under control, you know, like this. And, and that's how it was. And after they interviewed me and... So did they go right to interviews and everything? They didn't give you sort of a brief on what no, to say, what not to no. say? I was just like, uh, we, we have none of that, um, you know, nowadays you would be taken aside, do you want a therapist oh, or... Oh, goodness you know, me, you'd, ha- you'd you know, have a full, you'd have a legal yeah, team, you know, yeah. telling you what you could talk no, about, what you can't talk about. And, and, and it was all done um, and, you know, and eventually I, I just, you know, got in, you know, the, the mini... And, and we drove back and he dropped me off. And I, I walk into the crew room and there's everybody sat there. You know, they're all, you know, they've all come to work. You know, they've already had a nap and a dinner yeah, and everything yeah. while and, they're waiting and, for you. And I can tell you, the next day I go flying in a helicopter as if nothing's happened, you know. <laughs> and the, the beauty of it is, though, and I mean, you know, if you have proud moments in your life, um, I don't know, about a month later... I get a, like a, almost like a message from the Queen. From the Queen. Right. And from not, Her Majesty. Her Majesty. You know, it's not from the Queen, but she's the one who said yes. All right. And, and she awarded me the Queen's Gallantry Medal. All right. So um, I, I then have to go and meet the Queen. You know, which is great. Then you you have to go meet the Queen. Yeah. I know it was hard to take time out of your day for that. Well, she, I'm sure she won't come to me. <laughs> And so, and and so, I, I get a trip to the palace, where I'm, you know, probably one of the lowest ranks there. All right, but the the amazing thing, all the, um, if you want to call the guys that look after the big crowds who are getting medals and stuff like that, they're all commodores, commanders. You know, there'd be a couple of rear admirals there. A lot of, and, lot of stripes and stuff. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and. Of course, I'm I'm the man, you know. I'm the one getting the medal, and and so it was great. You know, they come up to me, oh, Lee Nair, Crewman Gibbs, you know, well done, it's great for the navy, you know, this sort of thing. Yeah, I know, sir. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Thank you, yeah, sir. I'll take you to your seat now, and they put you there and say, "This is what you're going to say to the queen when she speaks to you." Ah, uh, now now the legal team comes in and gives you well, the direction. Well, you know, they just you know be polite and use your common sense, you know. You know, so no. don't 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 flirt. No, uh, no, eyes, no, eyes, no, I would eye contact only. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and and so that that was um, the you know what came out of that for me. Well, you know what? You That's know? pretty amazing. It's not everybody that meets the queen, and it's yeah. not everybody that meets the queen having done something that I think we can go ahead and call it heroic. Well, yeah. Th- thank you very much, and yeah. you know, thank that, you very much. That, and uh, and again, like I say, I, I've had a really unusual life. You know, because there's been many incidents, you know, like this. Oh, I, and, we'll, we'll, we'll divulge into that. I think that yeah. uh, Peter Gibbs is going to make more than one appearance on our show here. Well, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have you. Okay. <laughs> so uh, that's probably a good spot to uh, wrap this one up. Uh, we'll thank uh, Peter Gibbs very much for that uh, incredibly entertaining, uh, harrowing, and uh, amazing story of of survival and uh, and uh, I'll, I'll say fortitude because uh, that took some staying power to hang in there and that sounds like some extremely yeah. difficult circumstances and then just grind your way back to work when you get back. Yeah, you are. That, that, that's how it is. That's the job. <laughs> so uh, thanks very much, Peter, and uh, we'll look forward to having you again on the show. And uh, thanks very much. That's a wrap.
Thank you, Dan. That was great. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you've got an interesting story or think you know someone who'd make a great guest on the show, please reach out to us at LegacySurvivalStories, all one word, at gmail.com. You can also find us at LegacySurvivalStories.buzzsprout.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and help us move up the charts with a five-star rating. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and almost anywhere you can find podcasts. Legacy. Survival Stories.